Welcome to episode three of A Jewish Life. I'm Rabbi Boris Dolan, Rabbi of Congregation Dorsche and Metz in Montreal, Quebec. And today we'll continue to hear the stories of our Jewish community, learning about our history and exploring our identity through the Jewish journeys of our diverse Jewish mosaic. As we get older, of course, we hope that we also become wiser. While physically things might become more challenging, and at times it may seem that the world is changing too quickly for us to keep up, thankfully we know that with age and with wisdom, we also gain a sense of perspective. Those experiences that loom so large in our lives, whether because they were simply too important to us or were so challenging to overcome, as we grow older, they may just become one of the many stopping points in our journey. And those small moments, those times that we may have overlooked or taken for granted, upon reflection, they may become a symbol for something much bigger. Sadly, some memories, of course, fade, and we may never be able to get them back. But other memories have such a hold on us that they become part of our core story, but are also the stories that we tell others again and again. In our families, this retelling of stories can often become a bit of a joke. Oh, there goes Grandpa telling that story about the old country again. Or hearing a mother and father tell their children the classic beginning to a story which always ends with a good lesson. Well, when I was a kid. Now, we tell these stories because we believe, we know, that what we have done in our lives, all that we have experienced and learned, can help guide others through their own journeys. When we can pass on these lessons to others, then our life has meaning. Now, when a person becomes old, we do our best to honor them for the long life they have lived and for the wisdom they have gained. In fact, in the Torah, the word most often used for someone who is old, zakin, has been turned into an acronym, zekana chokmah, one who has acquired wisdom. The word may also mean judge or a sage, someone who is able to help and guide others or help make important decisions because of their knowledge and experience. Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, who wrote a powerful book called Aging to Saging, put it well when he said that elders are like beautiful gems that have gained wisdom and beauty over time. He said, Elders are the jewels of humanity that have been mined from the earth, cut in the rough, then buffed and polished by the stonecutter's art into precious gems that we recognize for their enduring value and beauty. There are some people who truly do grow old gracefully, and of course, we hope this could be all of us. People who are able to look back, to deeply look back on their lives, while also being able to take lessons of their lives and bring them forward to help others. On this episode, I interview Ruth Block. Ruth celebrated her 100th birthday a few weeks ago, and we were blessed to join in the celebration with her in our synagogue community. As Ruth sat on the bima for her birthday celebration and listened to thoughts by her children and received blessings and good wishes from the community, you could see in her smile that this was a woman who sat with such pride and such a well-earned wisdom that she had gained in her many years. Ruth was born in Poland before World War II and made her way to Canada, leaving much of her family behind. Ruth shares some of her memories of life in the old country, from the challenges of anti-Semitism to the joys of friendship and community life. She recalls the hope that she found in her new home in Canada and how she explored the new culture as she raised a family of her own. As she shares her story, Ruth also reflects on the purpose of memory, the ups and downs of parenting, and what it means to maintain a Jewish identity and hold on to hope in a quickly changing world. There is quite a bit of wisdom that a person can gain in a hundred years, and I hope that you enjoy learning from this wisdom as you hear Ruth share her story. Ruth is joined in this interview by her son, Erwin Block. Welcome, Ruth, to this, this episode of A Jewish Life, which is our podcast where we're interviewing people in the Jewish community at Dorsche and Metten in Montreal, and hopefully learning a little bit about your story and uh, where you think we're headed as a Jewish community in this world. So before we begin, I just want to say how wonderful it was for us to celebrate your 100th birthday party a few weeks ago at the synagogue. The people in the community are still recovering from the joy of that experience. It was, it was just wonderful to have you there with your family to really celebrate with you and to see the joy that you had uh, celebrating this day with us. Uh, so thank you for giving that to us for, for, that, for that birthday celebration. It's my great pleasure and honor. It was wonderful. Yes. yes, thank you. You have a fascinating story. You have, uh, of course, many years behind you. And I know that you, you grew up uh, in Europe and you many years later came, came to Canada. So can you tell me about uh, your, your childhood, about maybe even before that, what you know about your ancestors who, who lived in Europe, wherever you'd like to start? Uh, yes, well, um, 
My father was, was a Hasid. He was very, very um, religious, but he was also very broad-minded. And after a while, he sort of w went more worldly, and he became a Mizrahi. So mm -hmm. there is even a picture of my father as a Hasid there. And, and later on, when already he became a, a, a Mizrahi. And uh, <clears throat> I spoke Yiddish. I only spoke one language until I was about six years old, because my parents, between themselves, spoke only Yiddish, and with me, only Yiddish. But then uh, I went to a, a general school, public school, where mm -hmm. they were po Polish kids and myself. So uh, we learned Polish. I learned Polish. And when it came to religion, the Jewish children went out. They spoke about Jesus and things like that. And uh, anti-Semitism was rampant. Like the Poles, they didn't know why, but I always, uh, all the time I heard Jewish, Moudzis uh, Wojewf, you know, yes. dirty Jew. Now going back, so where, you were born in Poland, where exactly yes, in Poland? Yes, yes, in a small town called Zlochev. Okay. But although stop, the town was so small, there were all kinds of fractions of Jewish beliefs. They were Stieblach. Uh, they each had their Rebbe, you know. And were the other people in the town, the Jews, were they mostly religious? Was there a, a secular community too? And uh, they were mostly religious. Mostly religious, okay. Yes, so you grew right. up, your family was religious then? Yes, okay. yes, yeah. So what did, what did being religious mean in that town? Because that could mean many things. It means, you know, not doing anything on Shabbat, uh, I was uh, I was influenced by that. I, I didn't even want to comb my hair, you know. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was influenced. But then somebody came from a nearby town, and he started to talk about um, that, that not to be so strict. And I, I dropped a little bit, and I what did I become, Erwin? You wanted to join Hashomer HaTzair, yes, and your father oh, okay. said uh, no because he didn't have enough money to get you out of jail. Yeah, because the Shomer HaTzair, if, if you didn't go to Israel, uh, you were arrested or something like that. Well, there were demonstrations. Uh, yeah. There was no Israel then. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was Palestine. But also then, so you joined Beitar, right? Beitar, yeah. Yeah, and, and you used to go to the forest to do uh, training. Yeah, Is that yeah. True? Rabotinsky, okay. yeah, it's true. Oh, wow. Absolutely. And I was wearing a brown uh, uniform, and we were <laughs> marching. In the forest. In the forest. And we said we, we don't want to uh, cause war or anything, but we should be prepared. In just in case, we shouldn't be helpless. Uh -huh. We should know how to defend ourselves. So this, I assume, was in the early 1930s when when Nazism was yeah. really taking off, or yeah, yeah, yes. yes. Yeah. So then, um, my uh, my son-in-law from from Canada, my brother-in-law, he came and um, my father said to him, you know, uh, she's you're still young and she she knows how to. Some of the machine, hmm. and please, please uh, see to it that 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 she should be able. Let's let's make papers. Let's see if she she could you could sponsor her to come to Canada. So, how old were you when this happened? Well, she you came in 1938. You were almost 20, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and then when I came here. Well, before we before we get to Canada, so was it, was it challenging to leave Poland? I mean, obviously, yeah, this was this was before the war, and there was a lot going on. I, I'm sure yeah. there were other people that wanted to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when I left, my parents were devastated because they were they missed me so much, you know. This and when I came here, when I came here, I was very disappointed. I didn't know the language, and uh, and I wasn't. I had to had to do something, so I. There was this woman. Her name was Anne Applebaum, mm -hmm. and she was giving me lessons. I was paying her twenty five cents an hour. Lessons. English lessons. English lessons. Yes. And she says, "You know what? I'm gonna. I have to go see my my 
and my relative, because he's with his mother, and if I don't come to see, he screams at me, gets very mad, could you come with me? Hmm. I said, okay, I'll come with you. Yes. And, and I went with her, and then she came from Windsor, Ontario, right, Erwin? Mm-hmm. And th th she had a sister who was dying because she had scarlet fever and they didn't have antibiotics right. that time. Yes. So she, she went back and the sister died and she remained already with, um, with, with the parents. Uh-huh. So th this That's man... That's when you met your, uh, Harry. Yeah. So this man phoned me up and he says, you know, I want to show my appreciation to you and uh, f you were so nice with my niece, you were friends and everything, and I want to bring you a box of chocolates. <laughs> I said, that, that's all right, uh, okay. <laughs> so not, I thought to myself, no big spiel. And then the next night, he says, you know, there is a very good movie playing around here, and I, but I don't like to go by myself. I uh, like to go with someone. Sounds like a date. <laughs> so uh, I said, okay. Uh -huh. I thought to myself, strange. What did I do that, that doing so much for me? So I went. When we were sitting there, he takes my hand. Oh, wow. Oh, well, then I knew <laughs> where he's heading. <laughs> uh -huh. And um, little by little, you know, we, we fell in love. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked him a lot because I don't like very thin, thin, thin men. I like people. He had a big chest, and they say if, if you're a good uh, son, you're going to be a good husband. You know. Mm. I thought to myself, well, anyways, we we got married. Mm -hmm. but there were very, very little people who was there. His friend, I think. Just, just enough. So, how long had you known each other before you got married? About six months, I would six months? say. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, in the 1930s, uh, when you were a teenager and, and growing up, yeah. you know, this was this was a, in some ways, a very challenging time to be in Absolutely. Poland. And yeah, yeah. Nazism was uh, yeah. was was growing, and as you said, there was so much anti-Semitism. So obviously, you were able to get out before the war. Yeah, yeah. But can you tell me more about just the experience, the daily life of living as a Jew and living in a in a really a, a world that was changing so quickly? Yeah. My, my mother and my father were not uh, really a match because he was very worldly and he was, he was very well liked with the, with the Polish community, with the Jewish community, and he was very active. Mm -hmm. but, but that didn't leave him much time to, uh, to make money, since it just made a little bit of money, was selling sewing machines. Yes. And my mother used to talk to strange people about bad about my fa father, so right. they said, uh, "Okay, what's about the, the, the skin?" Meaning me, er hot the skin. Yo, the skin tash, which means he didn't care, but not enough to give up the other things and make more money. Mm -hmm. And I was already, I judge at a very young age, criticizing my mother talking to other people about my father. Mm. I became, a, you know, so I grew up fast that way. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think he was, uh, he, he, he was very good in Polish. He knew how to write letters, so he wrote letters for people, right? Yeah, without money. Yeah, he was a, a kind of a, a public scribe. Oh, I see. He, he was uh, a good writer, and uh, he, was, he was also a member of, there was like a Jewish parliament Mm -hmm. You know, and exactly. he was a representative from his town in this uh, in yeah. this parliament. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and that's right. And he, he his official job was to be he was an agent for Singer sewing machines. Yeah. But uh, oh. apparently, uh, he didn't really do that much. Yeah. And what about uh, but uh, uh, during the holidays? What was it like in in Zlochev when during Pesach or during Yom Kippur? Or in Rosh Hashanah. Oh, the holidays was observed. You forgot. We all forgot about everything. It was observed to the T. Everything. Mm. Every, everything. Very much so. So were, were there some specific memories you have of, of, of the holidays? Of course, Shabbat, but also yeah. the other holidays. Already on Wednesday, people were preparing no matter what. And pe people were helping each other. They were make sure that people should, should be able to observe the Shabbat or, the, or 
uh, the holiday, okay. helping each other. It was amazing. In this town, was it was there a was it a market town with a, a central market square like many yes, Polish towns? Yes, 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 so yes. So you, you remember every going Monday, to the market? Every Monday, every Monday, the peasants around around the city came with the with their produce and the live chickens and 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 eggs and and uh, the Jews bought it and they kept it. And they had to go to the Shaykhid mm -hmm. to have it uh, slaughtered. slaughtered. Yeah. It should be kosher because it should be humane. Of course. Kosher means if the, um, the razor is sharp, if, if, if it's a little bit uh, causing pain, it's strafe. Yes. You can't use it anymore. And what about your grandmother? Did she had a shop uh, around she, the square? Yes, yes, she had a shop. And she died before the Holocaust. Yeah. And her name was um, uh, Markovich. But if you, if you asked about Esther Markovich, no one used, knew who she was. Oh. But her husband was Froim, and, and he died. Mm -hmm. And the, when they said the Froim, if he was Froim, so she's the Froimte. But they asked the Froimte, everybody knew the Froimte. Uh -huh. <laughs> And so she had a market. What did she sell? Yeah, she was selling leather. Pieces of leather. Yeah, pieces of oh, leather. Pieces of leather. Yeah, okay. when when the peasants uh, sold their produce, uh, they would buy leather from uh, from her, yeah. and and then they would make shoes. Yes, right? because they would they weren't like ready-made shoes. You you went to the shoemaker and and he took the measurement and it was made to measure. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. So obviously, you know, this was a very different life than in Canada and for. For us today, this is an entirely different world. Well, I, just to get a little sense of, you, you maybe going a bit back again, a little sense of your childhood. What did you do for fun? Were there, were there games, places you went with your friends? What was school like? Oh, we went for walks on, on the main square, and we talked uh, Polish because it, we frowned uh, like a Yiddish. Well, what's Yiddish, you know? that we have to learn Polish. So you spoke Polish with your Jewish friends? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you do for fun as a child uh, growing uh, up? Saturday, Saturday afternoon we got together and we sang, we sang uh, Yiddish songs, no, Polish songs, something. And uh, were, were your friends, uh, were they sad when, you, uh, when, when, it was time, when, when they found out that you were leaving, your friends? Yes, they were sad. And my, my parents, too, were very lonely because, because they missed me so much. Yeah, after you left. Yeah. But after that, when it happened, everybody was, hmm. everybody was jealous. Right. Yes, that, that was such a wonderful thing. To the point where one one family, one family, I there were a lot of kids there, and she she wrote me a letter. She says, "You do to me what your sister did to you, and sponsor me." You know, well, of course, it's like by the time I got the letter, I couldn't sponsor her, but even if I would, you you, you couldn't do that because right. you needed money and after. The, and I had a, a brother whom I admired very, very, very much. I thought he was God. He was, besides good looking, he was just wonderful in every way, clean, and everybody liked him. And he lived in, in Lodge, mm -hmm. which was a, a, a Jewish center. A lot of Jews lived there. But they were making, it was a textile, uh, a textile mm -hmm. uh, town. And uh, so he, he lived there. And um, when they, had, they were conscripted to go to, to, the, to, to, to learn how to fight, uh, he went. And they, he said to wait for them, for him. When he came back, they gave him back the job. What's, what's after that, Erwin? After that was, um, you, you said he's, he said goodbye to you uh, in, in either Gdynia or, or Gdansk, or, yeah. Or Gdansk, yeah. And, and I was I went on the, on the boat to to go to London, and I, went, and, I, and I saw him. I looked at him with a long coat, and little did I know that this was going to be the last time I'll ever see him. Hmm. And. Uh, 
And then I got a letter and, and uh, when I was uh, already in Canada, and, and he said to me in the letter, God knows if we'll ever see each other again. Mm. So when I said, when he said that, it must be a hundred times worse. And I knew already what's coming. So this, of course, is a tough question to ask, but what happened to the, the family that stayed? Your parents, your, your yes, rel relatives yes. who stayed? Did uh, the, the town was burned down completely. Oh. They had to leave with only what they had on, on, on them. And the, the letters was already, that was Zlotchev, The letters were from Zdrinskavola. It wasn't already from Zlotchev. And they, they made them work in factories, give, giving them very little, little food. And when they couldn't uh, work anymore, they said, let's go to the shower. And they took off all their clothes and everything. And they said, let's go in and have a shower. And they were all there. They opened the gas and gassed them and then threw them in the oven. Yes. Yeah, we know that. So this was this was your entire family was was killed in the Holocaust or yes yeah yes. her her father, her um, father. Motl, her mother Minda oh. her brother uh, Vovche and his wife and, and his Bella, wife Bella and, and and cousins, but uh, uh, we we've, we've discovered that uh, her father who uh, my grandfather who was who was older he 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 died uh, uh, you know of disease or hunger mm -hmm. uh, and, and the other three uh, there's uh, they're recorded as having been uh, exterminated at uh, Auschwitz. To have been in Canada and know that this was going on at least to some extent yeah how did you how did you deal with that did you have a support system here were there other people who had family back in Poland or back yeah. in Europe yeah what what was able to to get you through I that? was crying all the time all the time yes yeah and what did Harry tell you when your husband, when, uh, when you were crying all the time? He asked you to, uh, to you were just, uh, gave birth, I think, to, uh, to some children, right? Yeah, to Lillian. To yeah. Lillian. And what did he, which, who, who, she was born in 1940. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what did Harry say to you? He, he said you should, he asked you to stop crying. Yeah, don't remember. Okay. And then, then I said, well, I don't want to have, it's not good to, to have one child. Let's, let's try and have another one. So that's when you were born. Yeah. And then uh, who died? That, that you were, uh, that Rona was named after. His mother. Right. He loved his mother so much, he wanted to have a name after her. And luckily, it was a girl. And her name was Rivke, but I didn't like the name Rivke. Hmm. Or Rebecca, I taught myself Verona, and she she thanks me even right now. She says she likes the name Verona. Okay. Yeah, my uh, paternal grandmother died at, at home uh, in our house. She stayed okay. with us uh, until the end. Yes. On, on, uh, in in uh, Lower Uttermal. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it, of course we could talk more about your life in Poland and how you got here. I, I, the new life that you had in Canada, I'm yeah. sure, was in so many ways. A better experience, entirely different than your life in yeah. Poland. Even as you were dealing with the aftermath of the war and the emotional pain of experiencing that yeah. and having your family die, but, but the, yes. uh, how, how many how many Jews were murdered in the Holocaust? Well, people say six million. Six million. So so uh, more are, are being lost because from this others look look at my case, you know. Uh, yes. I lost, I lost some of, look how many people were through me that are not going to be born. So with, with six million, it was much, much more. Of course. We've lost out when you look at it that way, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But you, you, uh, you had th uh, three, uh, three children and, and you have uh, how many grandchildren now? Seven. Seven. Gra and how many great grandchildren? Thirteen. Wow. So you have to think of it that way. That, yes. Yeah. Were lost. So, what about uh, uh, you, you? When you you had uh, children, you uh, you joined uh, Pioneer Women, which became Namat, Namat right? Namat, yes. Why Why did you do that? Because it was uh, it was a little bit more to the left. I didn't want to be a Beitar. It's more right. right. 
What was this group? This was a support group for mothers of, or something more? We were uh, the raising money to, uh, to help children in Israel. I see. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. It, it, it was uh, affiliated with the Histadrut and, uh, you know, with the labor Zionist movement. Yeah, okay. Right. Which was uh, yeah. the dominant uh, movement in, in, in Montreal and other parts of, of North course. America. And I was very, very active. I was selling tags and I was going, going to factories and told them what we're doing. And to get donations. Donations in, in money mm, or, or in goods. Yeah. And they had bazaars, you know, yeah. where uh, yeah. people who were looking for yeah. good, good goods at a lower price would go to the bazaar. Or they called them ne nearly new sales nearly new for sales. stuff that's a little bit used. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, Ruth and her friends were, uh, were very, very active. And they had speakers, etc. Uh -huh. So this was something that Ruth did that was a way for her, her to uh, affirm her, 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 her Jewish connection okay. one way apart from the fact that the three children all went to Jewish schools uh, the my sisters went to the the Yiddish Volksschule the Jewish people's school of course and and uh, and I went to uh, Talmud Torah uh, because uh, my husband said uh, let him know and our neighbor said what do you want him to be a rabbi he says he'll do he'll be what he wants but let him have from what to drop <laughs> That's good advice. That's good yeah. advice. Yeah, his idea was that uh, the girls, uh, because Yiddish was the language of the home, you know, in his mind, because he was born in Europe too, you know, he was from, from Chernigov in Ukraine, mm -hmm. that uh, women have to know Yiddish because Yiddish is the, is the mamaloshin, it's the home language, it's the, and it, uh, it was very, very strong in the 40s and, and still in the 50s in Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, and whereas uh, uh, men need to know uh, Torah, and uh, you know there was it's a traditional it, view. Yes. It's a traditional view, and, and uh, whatever else go, that goes with it. So, not that the education was any better or any worse in either. They were both excellent schools yes. with with excellent teachers and and high standards. Now, were you? Were you still part of a Yiddish-speaking community here, or were you, you just trying to learn English and, and maybe a little bit of French as quickly as you could? Because obviously at that time there bad. were... My French was completely neglected. I couldn't do everything. Okay. But you had people you still spoke Yiddish to in Montreal? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, at that time, Yiddish was still, and still is, quite popular in the city. Yeah. Yes. Now, so you're, when you first came to Montreal, uh, what were some of the challenges beyond the language? You said you know you really tried to learn English as quickly as you could. Uh, but the language was very a very important thing because I couldn't communicate with them. Couldn't people wouldn't associate with me? They couldn't. We couldn't communicate, so I had to take lessons. So I took lessons with uh, coming back to Anne Applebaum, right. and. Uh, and then after the, after that, when you were married and had children, you you kind of learned English. From your children, I think, because yes, yes. you spoke Yiddish to uh, Harry. That's right. But you spoke English to us, and yeah. we had our homework, and uh, we listened to the radio in English. Yeah. And your 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 group, uh, Namat, uh, well, it was Pioneer Women. Then, was it was it conducted in English or in Yiddish, or both? Both. Both. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So your childhood in Poland, your family was more religious, but it sounds like when you came to Canada, you were active in Zionist groups and, you know, and uh, secular Yiddish culture in some ways, but did you, what did you think of religion at the time? Did you, did you stay religious in some ways? Were you part of a synagogue community? No, not, not really. Not at that time, no, okay. No. But, but Shabbat, uh, every Friday night, uh, you lit the candles and oh, there was challah, yeah. and uh, there was the, uh, the bracha. On Friday night, okay. yeah, every Friday night. Yeah. And obviously, you, if you sent your kids to Jewish schools and at least uh, you know, did Shabbat and the basics, you, you, you wanted very strongly to raise your kids in a yeah, Jewish yeah. environment. But also, and then uh, you, you, uh, you sent uh, the children after a while uh, to, uh, to, to Jewish camps. Yeah. Right? S uh, well, we used to go in the summer to Prefontaine, -pre Mm -hmm. which is a, a small community just near St. Agath. And there was a synagogue there. And uh, most of this, all, all the summer residents were, were Jewish. 
So it was, uh, and some of them were were Yiddish speakers. Okay. So it was a little shtetl, Prefontaine, uh-huh. uh, and and some of them were were members of of Ruth's uh, uh, group, Pioneer Women group. So there was this Hamish kind of feeling, and um, I used to go to the synagogue there on on Saturday uh, mm-hmm. for a while sometimes until I, until I, I went to camp, but. Uh, who was it that I nearly drowned and... It was me. You nearly drowned and who... who? Cousin Joe. Oh, Joe. Yeah. He saved, saved your you? life. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Maybe a story for another time. Yeah, okay. perhaps. Okay. So so these, every summer you'd go up north and you'd... you'd uh, but you'd still be with, with your community in a way. Yeah. How long? So you'd spend all summer there or just yes. part of the summer? Okay. The, yeah, the whole summer. We had a, a, a first we rented a, 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 for a couple of summers and then uh, we bought a little house there, I which see. was just a, a summer cottage and closed it up for the winter. Uh-huh. And you know it has a wood, uh, had a wood burning stove and it was uh, so hot. And uh, you know it had a. Uh, I had to warm you know, up hot water we, for about. Yeah, and we we had a, an ice box first. At one point we got a refrigerator and the farmers. Uh, used to come by with with produce uh, every, uh, every few days with a truck, mm-hmm. and they they go around the village and sell, uh, you know, vegetables. and And the the kosher butcher in Montreal would deliver uh, once a week mm-hmm. uh, uh, an order of of uh, it was called la joie la joie kosher meat, meat market. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, they used to deliver kosher uh, 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 meat and chicken and. Uh, to, to the various residents in in the, in the Laurentians who, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, at some point when we were uh, young teenagers, uh, we all went to Jewish camps, uh, various Jewish camps or Hebrew speaking camps. Yes, and there are still quite a few out there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you really, it sounds like you maintain such a you know strong Jewish identity, and you know for your family. Even after you moved to Montreal, the summers, the the, the, the Zionist groups that you were a part of, when did you uh, end up joining a synagogue? I know you've been a, a member of Dor Shemet for for many years now. Was this after your kids grew up? Oh, I I went I went. Uh, somebody invited me for. They wanted to um, extend the Namat, so someone invited me for for Friday night dinner. And she invited me to come to the synagogue. Was this after Harry died? Yes, after Harry died. And when was this? Oh, yeah, after he Harry. He died in December 1980. Yeah. Okay. And then it, it, it came. another weekend came. So I said, well, where do you want to go? I thought to myself, well, I want to go to the synagogue because I, I liked it so much. When you read the paper, all you see is hate, hate, hate. When you come into that synagogue, all you hear is love, love, love. Mm-hmm. So why not? Why not go there? Mm-hmm. The, the, then I was going all all the time, and then Chava Dinar, she's the uh, the main uh, parnas, phoned me up one day, and she said, "You know what? You were chosen to be collaboration." I said, "What are you talking about? Me? I'm not contributing anything." <laughs> anything. The only, the, only th- the only thing I come every Shabbat, she said, that's enough. It shows your, your commitment, and you are. Mm-hmm. So I became Kalabarashit. So you, were you the first? Uh... Yeah, I was the first one, yeah. The first and, and I wrote, yeah. And okay. I wrote, um, everybody has to make a speech. I wrote a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful speech why I was so del- devoted and... And now when they go back to all the Kalas Breshit, Rabbi Ron Egan said he never, never, never had anything better than what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember I, I some have, of the... I, I have a, a knack for writing, you know. I have a little bit... I think you take after me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happily. I assume you, your son was going to ask, do you remember some of what you said if, about... Uh, what what your... I said now, that, that when I read the paper, I see hate, 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 and here it's a love, love, love. So why not, why not choose the good thing? Good advertisement for the community. <laughs> yeah. What does being part of a, a Jewish community mean to you? You've maintained such a strong Jewish identity, and I can tell you from our celebration of your birthday a few weeks ago, you have a, an inner strength and a, and, and a, 
a wisdom that just emanates from all that you do. And I think uh, something, something obviously deeply connects you with Judaism, but also you have contributed so much to our community. So what, what does it mean for you to be part of a, a Jewish community? Because, because they were so persecuted, I went the other way, you know, to show, to show them that, that nothing will destroy us. We are Jews, we're here to stay, and we will stay and will survive. And when teaching others, when raising your children Jewish, obviously it's much to raise children in the Jewish community as proud Jews. It's more than just sending them to Jewish day schools. What, what were the values that you passed on to your children about, about being Jewish? What I just said, to be proud. To be proud. To be Jews, not to cover up. It's just the opposite. Mm -hmm. And did that work for you, Erwin? Uh, well, there was nothing, it was not, nothing explicit, you know. It was just... Uh, uh, for example, uh, I can remember, uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, connecting with, with our history has always been an important part of our family. Mm -hmm. uh, connecting with, uh, with Israel has always been a central part of our, of our family. Showing uh, concern for, uh, for continuity and for, uh, for the best values that are, are at the core of the religion have always been an integral part of our, uh, of our upbringing, uh, not necessarily uh, uh, dictated as such, but uh, threaded through uh, actions and, and behavior, uh, supporting uh, community organizations uh, uh, and um, and uh, getting involved uh, when when uh, when uh, our community is is threatened, and um, and also uh, preparing for the future by learning uh, as much as we can about where we come from and what are the core beliefs. Uh, this was inculcated in in us, but uh, yeah. rather than any speeches or or uh, you know. Uh, 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 any formal uh, uh, declarations. Mm -hmm. It was just uh, uh, being connected to the to the to the best of the traditions of our uh, of our Jewish uh, heritage uh, was uh, woven into our daily life. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, uh, uh, we uh, uh, we were all uh, you know. Uh, so happy when when Israel uh, became uh, uh, was recognized uh, uh, by the uh, in the vote of the United Nations in mm -hmm. in 1947 the, uh, the the partition uh, uh, vote. I mean, I was only uh, four or five years old then, but I, I kind of remember this being a, a very joyous moment, and uh, you know, my. Uh, our family always contributed uh, to uh, Jewish uh, uh, philanthropical uh, causes. Uh, my father was a member of the Habonim, which was a general Zionist uh, mm -hmm. organization during the war and, 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 and after. And uh, he, uh, he was very, uh, very, very uh, uh, pro-Israel. And um, <clears throat> he was always... Uh, uh, careful with money, but there was uh, always ready to spend as much as possible when it came to investing in in Jewish education. Taxis and uh, paying for taxis and paying for the for the school when he could have ha had it for free. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and um, for that there was always money. Right. He said he would sell his last pair of pants for that. Uh huh. <laughs> well, he was committed to it. Yeah. And uh, and then of course uh, they, uh, but it's a, this this is about you. It's not really about me. Okay. For you, uh, you know, what is your theology? What is what do you understand of spirituality in Judaism? When you walk into the synagogue, it's obviously not just the practical experience of being together as a community that supports you and that that you can support. But there is there something beyond that. What what do you believe? In God, uh, what do you believe in, in the, the deeper connection that we have with I, each other? I do believe in God, and I believe that this, that uh, I'm not afraid to die because I, it's going to happen very soon. How, how much more can you can I live? I'm not afraid because 
the, um, it's true that they are buried, but the soul doesn't occupy any space. The soul survives, and on the other side, all the souls are, are there, and I'll be able to, to see my parents. My soul will be with them, mm -hmm. and will live, will live forever, forever and ever and ever. What means ever and ever and ever? We don't know. We don't know when time begins. We don't know when time ends. We don't know how far, you know, the, the skies are, how far, because the earth is just a one little speck. Mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, we don't know lots of things. Because if we would know, we, we ourselves would be God. We don't know. And I think it's important to hold on to that mystery. I think Judaism yeah. gives us permission to not have all the answers. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes having more questions is a, is a good way to live. Has Judaism somehow given you a spiritual strength, your, your connection with the Jewish community? Has it given you a spiritual strength to make your way through some of the challenges you've experienced? Absolutely. Again, Absol it's clear to everyone in the community that you have this profound strength and uh, and ability to keep going forward. I mean, you've, you've made it to 100 years. That's uh, yeah. That itself is a blessing, but you still have such a, such a love of life and a wisdom that you continue to pass on to others. So, Thank you. Yes, and, and clearly something, something has worked in your life to get you to that point. Well, I don't know what it is. <laughs> you tell me. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's just another one of the mysteries. I don't know. Yeah. We don't know everything, because if we would know, we would be God. <laughs> that is true. So we live in a world that has so many challenges uh, beyond the Jewish community. There's societal problems, there's political problems, there's uh, continues to be pain and suffering in the world, a lot of brokenness. With all that you've experienced in life, what do you think is something that, that can help us heal some of the brokenness? What, you, you talked about this Jewish community specifically that holding on to that pride yeah. uh, as, as Jews, as a community, but for all of us, what, what do you think can move us forward well, with a little more hope? Why shouldn't we be able to think clearly and, and go to, for, for love, not hate? That, that's, those are beautiful words. Practically, what, how do we do that? Or is yeah. that something you're still, you're still yeah. thinking about? Yeah, yeah. How do we... How do we how do we, we create a world with, with, with more with love? We have to fight with our last that? breath for that. Okay. Yeah. And do you do you still enjoy uh, paying attention to the news and the the, the, the going yes, on in the yeah, world? Yes, you can't close your eyes and you uh -huh. know put your head in the sand. You can't do that. You have to see reality. And if you were going to if you were going to give advice to anyone who you who you met about what you've learned in your life, what would you say? Go where there is love, where there's, don't shy away from, from hate, and enlighten them which way to go. Okay, so you, you've mentioned love a lot, that's clearly an yeah, yeah. important goal of yours. You know, the fact that uh, uh, you have one daughter in Israel who's had, who has had three children and, and, and they have children, and uh, one son here and one daughter in the United States. Um, how do you see the future when you think about uh, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren? How do you see... Uh, not too good. Not, not too good. Too good. Uh, well, it is, it is a, a challenge, I think. Jews today, not only at our synagogue, but you know, younger Jews yeah. really feel very differently about what the importance of Judaism is, why they connect to Jewish community, and... As I've said many times before, for Jews today, you know, we are safe, we are comfortable being Jewish as a choice. You do not have to walk into a synagogue and ever identify as Jewish if you don't want to. So that choice means that many people make different choices, which I think for people in your generation, yeah. you might not understand. And I, I, I understand how that can be so, so, so tough and, and in some ways disappointing. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, when you come into the synagogue, to no matter what, I've, I forget about everything. I love to go to the synagogue still. Because no matter what, the minute you come in, you feel safe. And, and, and no matter what, a Jew is a Jew. And, and the Reconstructionist is, is, 
uh, movement is for me. Mm -hmm. It's accepting and yeah. hopefully it's filled with that love that you, yeah, you talk yeah, so much yeah. about. Yes. And also, I remember, I, c I cannot forget what happened to Ra Rabbi Egan. Yes. You know? I'm crying now. It was supposed to be a celebration. You remember you were sobbing. They came in and yeah. we all stood up. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was a tragedy. Yeah. And we're still mourning but, for But him. you know that my Arona knows about that. She says crying is very, very, very healthy. She says crying means washing your hurt. Mm -hmm. After a while, you get back to yourself. If you don't cry, it's too bad because you become, you become, uh, you don't cleanse yourself. You remain with a problem. Mm -hmm. You hold them inside. Yeah, yeah. Crying is very, very, very good for it's you. It's a release. Yeah, yeah. It's a release. It means yeah. washing, washing out your, your grief. That's what crying means. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting you mentioned the power of crying, and I, you've, you've dealt with so much in your life being brought up in Poland and having to come here, leave your family behind, and, and to know what happened to them. And that, that openness in some ways to, to let the tears flow, yet also to understand that it's, as you said, joy, joy and love, that it's not the life that we yeah, live is not yeah. about just crying but moving forward. That's, yeah. that's an important way to live, and I think when people in our community see you, that's clearly so much part of the strength that they see in you, that ability yeah. to not forget the past, but to let the tears flow, but also continue to move forward and hold yeah. on to that hope. And to, to be 100 years old and still have such energy and such hope, that, uh, that says a lot about who you are, and I, I think it says a lot about that inner yeah. strength which has continued to keep you growing. And I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but there was one family and she said, do, do to you what your sister did to me. <laughs> do <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that. Which, yeah. yeah, I mentioned that, yes. As, yes. as when drink the chap by a What does that where mean? You, when it means when you drown, you hold on to a straw. In other words, oh, when you're desperate. <laughs> When you're desperate, uh, you hold on to, to something that won't have. Well, it's impossible. Won't help you. Hold on to a straw. It'll mm -hmm. give in. You know. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. On the note of Yiddish phrases, do you have a? I know at our celebration for your birthday, we sang a lot of Yiddish songs. Are there any? Are there any songs or poems or things that have always been part of who you are, Yiddish or English or otherwise that you? Zagnish Kamel does to gaze them less than throat. Vague. Yeah. Yeah. And what yeah. does that mean? Never say that you're going for, this is my last, uh, it, my last step. It's the partisan song. Oh, of course, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Never say that this is, uh, yeah. this is the end of the road. Yes, and we sing that for Yom HaShoah and many other right. times. Right. And the Holocaust, yeah. Yeah. the, yes. the uh, Warsaw Ghetto memorials. Of course, yeah. Yeah. of course. So that's that's something you really you really hold on to that. Yeah. And in some ways, that's that's a it's a powerful song, which is why we sing it because it, it reminds us to never forget. But it also yeah. it's also a song of resistance and protest, obviously, and that it's saying we'll never give up. Yeah. And that's that's something you hold so, on to. Vague. I I would always, no matter what we went through. I was always very feel good that, that I'm a Jew, that I was born a Jew, even in spite of the suffering. Well, thank you very much, Ruth, and thank you, Erwin, for sharing some of your stories, too, and helping bring out the stories that, that I, I know you have many more of, Ruth. I think uh, hearing from both of you has really been an honor. And I know, as I've said before, Ruth, that you are an inspiration for for so many people, the, the wisdom that you continue to share and the strength that you have. Clearly, you have a lot more that you will continue to give. And, Thank you for uh, saying that. And it, it was an honor to speak to you and to hear your story. The honor is all mine. <laughs> Thank you. Okay.
I hope that you enjoyed this episode of A Jewish Life. Now, I know that I'm just beginning this project of A Jewish Life podcast, but it has already been such a meaningful experience for me. I have to say that it's actually been really fun to play around with the technical aspects of making a podcast, from the recording and editing to the working on the website. But it has, of course, most of all been exciting to hear the stories people have shared. I've so far only recorded a few stories and have a few more interviews scheduled. But listening to these stories in this way has changed the way that I think of all the people I encounter in my life. Now, I know that as a rabbi, people naturally open up to me. And I had this calling in part because I found such a blessing and joy in making sure that everyone could feel listened to and honored, whether they're celebrating with joy or encountering challenges in their lives. And because of my role, I've always known that everyone has a story, which is just waiting to be shared. But through this project, I'm already starting to see how truly important and healing it can be to make sure that people have these opportunities to open up and to share an outlet of some sort to tell their stories, their life journeys to others. Sharing and listening to each other in this way makes the teller proud that what they have done matters and the listener, all of us, are able to hopefully see a bit of ourselves of our own experiences in the story. It is a special way of learning and listening. And through hearing the experiences of others, we can better know how to act in our own lives. There are so many stories out. There are so many different ways of connecting with Jewish life and tradition. These stories come from you. As usual, if you're interested in sharing your story on our podcast, or if you have comments on the show, you can always contact me at boris at ajewishlife.org, or find me on our website, ajewishlife.org, or on Facebook at ajewishlife. Your story, your journey, is part of our story. And I look forward to getting to know you on A Jewish Life.